Right. Welcome, everyone. As we wrap up our uh, final leg of the Your Amigos podcast world tour, we have landed in Boston. As you know, we're talking about biomarkers across kidney, bladder and prostate cancer. Uh, we are on bladder cancer. I'm joined by my co-host, Tom Powells and fellow Your Amigo, Chris Sweeney, who are both here to to wrap up and talk about where biomarkers stand in bladder cancer. So, gentlemen, welcome. Always a pleasure. Thank you. Brian. So let's uh, let's kick it off. So obviously pdl one is sort of the obvious biomarker we've been we've been sort of beating this biomarker um, to death over the last several years in different diseases tom maybe give us a, a status update i'm a practicing clinician i see these patients i see platinum eligible ineligible etc how am i using pdl one and what's the status uh, brian i think it's difficult it's a difficult topic because the first sort of chapter of the pdl one story with the phase one trials in urothelial cancer showed that urothelial cancer had high expression of pdl one both in the tumor and the immune component. They also had high tumor mutational burden, and it was felt that a biomarker-driven approach was very likely to be successful. Um, we then, in the subsequent second-line randomized trials, we then showed that actually the biomarker was pretty inconsistent. Um, we then went forwards into the frontline space and we showed more inconsistency. Um, and then most recently in the adjuvant space, it doesn't look like the biomarker works after all. And so just to be really clear, there are so many different ways of measuring PDL one and each drug has got a different diagnostic right. and has pursued a different approach. And each one of those approaches continually gives inconsistent results. And so when I look at the result of the next trial that comes out, I have absolutely no idea what the biomarker is going to show. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't, sometimes it helps, sometimes it's prognostic, sometimes it's predictive. And so one of my concerns around this space is we're not actually moving forwards. And is the, the inconsistency is not technical, meaning it's not because there's different antibodies and different measuring tumor cells versus no. immune cells. The inconsistency is because it's not, it just doesn't seem like it's a great biomarker. Um, is that and, yeah, and, and, and all of them appear somewhat similar in that respect because none of them seem to be, you know, getting um, yeah. particularly consistent results. And, and we know that, you know, we don't know the results of some of the trials that are coming right. out and we're not going to talk about them today. But if we use a tezolizumab, which has explored its biomarker most you know, most um, of the most of this in the public domain, it appears to be prognostic and not predictive second line. It appears to be predictive front line. And in the adjuvant setting, it doesn't appear to be prognostic or predictive. Um, so in, in, in platinum refractory, there's no real role for pdl one testing. There's currently right. no role in the platinum yeah. refractory testing. But for the clinical community, it is important to say, as it currently stands in the cisplatin ineligible frontline metastatic yep. setting, both pembrolizumab and atezolizumab have a label. Um, we know that, uh, and, they're, and they're used instead of um, gem carbo, um, but we also know that the 130 randomized trial hasn't yet shown a survival signal in that population. And we also know the 361, the pembrolizumab trial, um, is, neg is negative and right. hasn't, it hasn't. So the, the story... So just to be clear, the, they have a label meaning that patients need to express pdl one to receive those as monotherapy in the platinum ineligible setting. Yeah, EMA yep. and FDA approved cisplatin yep. ineligible um, biomarker positive frontline setting 
is where the biomarker is currently used. Right. But the frontline data in the big randomized trial hasn't yet come home in that setting. Right. Let me, we don't, so let me we just don't have cool data. So Tom, you've, you've expressed all your disappointments and dismay. <laughs> go, go back with what you know now. Yes. Uh, four years ago. Mm. How do you think this could have possibly been um, sorted out and done better? Well, it's really, it's really difficult because the initial results for all of the trials, um, and um, you'll know that there's the Juvalimab, the PDL1 AstraZeneca program, um, where the 1108 data, the initial second line platinum refractory data, the 263 biomarker looked fantastic. But we now know the frontline randomized phase three, the Danube trial, that looked for biomarker. The data is not in the public domain, but the press release has said that that, that arm has not come home. So in the frontline space, exactly where atezolizumab and pembrolizumab has that, has that FDA and EMA approval, you know, the, the duvalimab story has not come home in that space. So the, the, the problem is, is that two things. Number one is, for some reason, the biomarkers appear to be very inconsistent and number two is they appear to be prognostic or pick the chemotherapy winners as yeah. well as the immune therapy winners. And that's been very, very difficult. You know, the last bit I wanted to say on it, um, Chris, is we've done a little bit of neoadjuvant work giving two mm. cycles of atezolizumab and two cycles of pembrolizumab. And we can show that actually PDL1 protein expression is very unstable. So yeah. you can get up, you know, a 20% increase in in pd one positivity just by giving two cycles of atezolizumab. And we've seen, you know, with chemotherapy, you can see biomarkers changing as well. And so really, I think what we've done is we've ended up picking a biomarker that initially looked very promising because it distinguished in single arm trials, but then turned out to be unpredictable and very variable. And, so uh, and, you, and we've got... Do you think so, it's dead? I'm going to ask you about tumor mutation burden next, but do you think PDL one is, is dead as a single marker? Or, uh, or not? Well, I think we have to look at the results of these upcoming frontline trials. Okay. And I think in September time, um, you know, we've got the press releases of, of, yeah. um, of two of them. I imagine the data will come out at some point so in the not too distant future. It's, but, on, it's on life support, but not, not dead yet. Yeah, well, not yet. But we do know Danube. We know that hasn't come home and we need to know 361 has not come home. And so, right. you know, the, if you, the common sense approach to that uh, answer to that question would be, as it currently stands, this is, you know, it is on life support. I don't expect common sense answers from you, Tom, ever. No, so true. let's let's talk about tumor mutational burden. So that's the other, uh, you know, characteristic feature of bladder cancer associated with response to immunotherapy in some diseases. What's the what's the status in bladder cancer, and is it is it more promising than PDL one? Well, you know, there's some parallels with the TMB story as the PDL one story in urothelial cancer. So we get terrific data from lung cancer, and we try and translate it across. Uh, firstly. Secondly, there are many different ways of measuring tumor mutation burden. You can measure it with a gene panel or with whole exome sequencing. You can exclude particular driver markers or you can include different, um, um, you can, sorry, you can set your cut point at different levels. Uh, so 10 mutations per megabyte or, uh, per, per megabase or 16 per megabase. And, and so the reality then comes that you end up on a similar fishing trip, dare I say it where you can go in in your phase two trial and you can identify the biomarker that works in your phase two trial. And then the challenge comes, can you reproduce that in your randomized phase three? 
And what I can tell you at the moment is that the most robust data is from a second line trial comparing a tezolizumab with chemotherapy, which showed um, the PD-L1 biomarker was prognostic and not predictive, but TMB, and there was an explanatory nature to this, so the cut point was set sure. at, 10, at 10 mutations per megabase, but well, the PDL one wasn't explanatory, that was predefined, but the TMB that was exploratory, mm-hmm. we managed to show that at 10 mutations per megabase, it was predictive and not prognostic. But now we have to then take that work and now try and make that work in earlier in the disease setting, and it will be really interesting in these upcoming randomized trials to see if TMB outperforms pd one The one really interesting caveat to that is that in the frontline trial, the biomarker group that has looked at the, the chemotherapy combination versus, I'm um, sorry, the chemotherapy versus atezolizumab has shown mm-hmm. that if you combine pd one and TMB together, you can get a spectacularly low hazard ratio. So actually, TMB may save PDL one expression because if you are both PDL one positive and TMB positive, yeah. that might be a group of super responders who do exceptionally well. Fair enough. Fair enough. So let's so let's just. I'm going to do a Tom here. Well, let's underline that and just take a question here. So I'm here. I'm, He's learning I'm, fast. Yeah. I've got a patient come in. Yeah. And um, so first line, the chemo fit. What do you do, Tom? So as it currently stands in the frontline metastatic urothelial space, in the frontline setting, you don't need, if you're cisplatin eligible, you, don't, you shouldn't, there isn't a biomarker that you should measure. Yep. Um, um, in the biomarker, in the, in the cisplatin... So, so, so platinum-based chemotherapy, yeah. they respond. What do you do next? Well, just wait one second, because there's, bio- mm. there's the PD-L1, there's a cisplatin ineligible population. And you might say in patients with lymph node disease or have a good outcome, a good predicted outcome, you might say if you could measure the biomarker and give pembrolizumab and atezolizumab. Um, so there is that frontline biomarker. But I just said sort of five minutes ago that I'm nervous that the frontline randomized trials don't seem to be coming home in that space. And so that area for me appears to be under threat. So, you know, it might be that we're so not I'm now, using... I'm now, I'm now running 10 minutes behind in yeah. the clinic. Yeah. So platinum ineligible, right now, it's still reasonable to try a PD-L1, PD-1 inhibitor. It's currently reasonable, but we need to if look they, at the results they, of the trials. If, yeah. Correct, correct. But right now, yeah. I'm, I'm now 20 minutes yeah. behind. I've got to make a but, decision. Yeah, but you might want to <laughs> just give maintenance of Alimab instead. You know, well, that's you, a, but, well, no, but that's the platinum ineligible. Platinum ineligible, you, really, you might be able to sneak carbogem in, but you're thinking, okay, I can get a buy with... If they're pitiable and positive, the pathology report says it. I can write for tezolizumab or... You can, uh, but you, even in that population, you might want to give maintenance of alimab because the hazard ratio for the biomarker positives but, in that group was 0.56. So even in that but, group... But, but, but that's... Velimab, you've got to be... Don't you have to have had chemotherapy? Yeah, but it could be sister yeah, carbo you, is top but you, but you give yeah. gem carbo and then yeah. you just line them up for maintenance of alimab. Yeah. It's not an okay. unreasonable approach. Okay, so... Single agent Pembro, if you think you can get, if you can't get any chemo in at all, or single agent Tesolithin, yeah. if you think you can get Carbogem and you're going to respond, yeah, Carbogem, maintenance of Elamabu, they have a good response. I just hope there's uh, no bladder cancer patients in your actual clinic, because um, you're going to be way behind. <laughs> yeah, but one of the... Uh, but, but, <laughs> it, it, is, it is a bit behind. But Chris, so, what, I, what I wanted yeah. to, to, to move on to was that I... I 
I'm also nervous that we got um, uh, we, we, we have to, I think we've come to a point where we now need to look beyond PDL1 expression and yep. we need to look at a second generation of biomarkers. There is a clear group of patients in urothelial cancer who do poorly with, with immune therapy. Um, and we also know from some work both with nivolumab and with atezolizumab that um, there is quite a powerful stromal signature which seems to be immune inhibitory. Yep. And there is some work around TGF-beta uh, and EMT and fibroblast-activated protein, which suggests actually the reason why urothelial cancer may not be more responsive to immune monotherapy is based around this signature. And, I, and, and, and so I do think there is an opportunity to look beyond PD-L1 uh, and TMB into a second generation of biomarkers that may be more uh, uh, maybe more useful in the future, and um, and then yeah, the lot. Sorry, Tom. Right now, that work of TGF beta et cetera right now is just explored. I mean, those future are, state, future state, future state. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and 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 that work. And there's another signature. There's a T effector type signature that's ongoing. Mm -hmm. that's, that's that's interesting, and that's a similar signature, the signature that we've used in kidney cancer. Mm -hmm. So I think these RNA signatures may turn out to be may turn out to be more useful in the future than but than protein um pdl1 expression and and then the last piece that uh, uh, that i wanted to just talk about was that we've talked about immune monotherapy with single agent immune checkpoint inhibitors uh, we have done a little bit of work um with um uh, combination therapies ctla4 pdl1 um pdl1 sorry pd pdl1 plus targeted type therapies, um, and also, of course, chemotherapy plus uh, immune therapy. And there's data on those three approaches. Um, and as it currently stands, it's quite hard to find, um, you know, a new, a, a different, bio that's not actually my phone. It? It's mine. <laughs> that's that's, that's uh, someone calling end time on our on our, on our, our podcast. Exactly. Tour. That's the um, two-minute warning. Two-minute warning. Um, but we currently haven't managed to, to find biomarkers associated with the chemotherapy immune combinations, and we haven't managed to find um, biomarkers associated with targeted immune combinations. Um, the two areas I think of interest to me is the PDL1 biomarker in the CTLA4 PDL1 combination. There's some ipilimumab and nivolumab second line data. Um, which um, look has very high response rates in the biomarker positives, and I think that's really interesting. Um, it's biomarker worth, positive, you mean what? PDL one positive. PDL one. Yeah. And so it might mm. be actually that the CTLA four immune combination mm -hmm. ends up saving the PDL one biomarker. And the way it might do that is there's an ipilimumab and volumab trial looking at the same combination um, around the corner, and that's not inconceivable because it's important to remember, of course, that CTLA four. Uh, it's expressed on Treg cells, and and, right. and that's a major um, a role of its activity. And 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 so having immune infiltrated tumours and PDL one may be a surrogate for that, may be important for its activity. Right. So I don't, I haven't ruled out. It sounds crazy that PDL one will turn out to be a surrogate marker for CGLA four activity, but I certainly haven't ruled that out. Um, yeah. So that's the first thing uh, I think that's that's worthwhile saying. And then I think the second thing that's worthwhile saying. Um, just to sort of draw a line under this, is that as we move into the non-muscle invasive and muscle invasive space, 
it's not clear that the rules that have applied in muscle and in metastatic disease would also apply. We know that PDL1 expression is higher. We know that the, uh, there's a higher proportion of inflamed type tumors uh, in the muscle invasive space. We've had a negative adjuvant study, and the PDL1 biomarker has not worked. Um, but I think that there is a huge opportunity in this space. As Chris just said in his prostate cancer um, uh, finale, pop, pop, finale um, that this is an area <laughs> of huge exploration because at the moment we're not really doing very well. We don't really know what to do with a lot of these patients. And adjuvant or neoadjuvant chemotherapy you know, has got mixed reports. And, uh, and we, I, I, I'm of great supporter of neoadjuvant chemotherapy. But my feeling is we can actually insert these drugs either alone or in combination with other agents into this space with biomarkers will make a big difference. I think we should draw a line under this podcast. That seems oh, to be our... I'll just say, Tom, keep going with all the good work. And I'll just say, leave you with one thought. The Wright brothers didn't get off the air the first time. Well, Chris, what I would, I'm, I'm actually going to say one thing before we do finish, if I may, and that yeah. is that Jonathan Rosenberg did a fantastic podcast on the FGF biomarker, yeah. and, I've, and I've not talked about that before. It's yeah. one of our most popular biomarkers, it is. and I, I, learned, uh, I learned a huge amount One of the most it. popular podcasts, you mean? Yeah, excuse me, yeah. Brian, one of my most popular podcasts, and, and <laughs> I'm, I'm not going to talk, I, but I, I think it would be wrong to finish this, uh, this without, without saying, without right. mentioning actually FGF alterations, DNA alterations, either measured by PCR or Foundation One uh, with erdafitinib right. is licensed and is there is biomark there is a you know there is a biomarker approach there in urothelial cancer. We're not going to talk about it today because we're running out of time, but have a listen to that fantastic podcast. Way to advertise another podcast too. Nice we work. need to we need to do more of that in the future. <laughs> <laughs> listen uh, Chris, Excellent. Brian, thanks so much. Um, and, good fun. Uh, it's been good fun. We're going to draw a line on this, and I'll see you soon. All right. Cheers, James. Thanks, boys. Bye.